Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing Podcast, brought to you by the Revenue Marketing Alliance. Today, we're joined by our podcast host, Eve Chen, who's going to be discussing marketing and sales alignment with CMO Natalie Trong and author and B2B sales influencer, John Smybert. Well, welcome, everyone, uh, to Let's Talk Revenue Marketing. And so today we have a fun topic, and uh, it's uh, one of those top topics still today, which is crazy about the uh, sales and marketing alignment. We've been talking about, I think the first time I heard about the, the term sales and marketing alignment was roughly about 16 years ago. And so now, they are now after you know all this time, we're still talking about marketing, sales, how do we align each other better? So today, I'm a, uh, we're very honored to have two distinctive uh, uh, guests on our show. And uh, um, so I would like to introduce Natalie, Natalie Trone. Um, she's a, Natalie is a partner and the chief marketing officer for Asia, Middle East, and Africa at the MRSA. And uh, Natalie is responsible for strategic delivery of marketing capabilities across 15 countries in Asia, Middle East, and uh, Africa. Um, including driving demand generation, revenue growth, and the client-centric partnership, as well as positioning the uh, MRSA brand prominently across that entire region. So Natalie has you know, extensive backgrounds across both B2C and the B2B, and obviously has a ton of experience in this uh, area working with uh, sales, both field sales, as well as uh, um, uh, the kind of more like inside sales operation. So really looking forward to hear some of her experience and how she established some of the practices in her organizations um, to achieve some good success. And next guest we have is John. John Smeber. Am I pronouncing that Spybird. John, John Smybird. Let's Smybert. get it wrong. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, God, that one run already. So John, John is an award-winning author and the B2B sales influencer. Um, he, he's actually the uh, award-winning, uh, sorry, uh, best-selling author for award-winning uh, book called The Winworth Prospect. Um, John previously had a long sales and management career in tech sector, and uh, recent years he has founded the Sales Leader Forums and the Sales Masterminds Asia Pacific, and both focus on assisting uh, B2B selling organization to transform the way they sell. So John, obviously, in his past life, have dealt with a lot of marketers, uh, um, uh, such as uh, Natalie and myself and many listeners on our show. And love to hear that hopefully John can be candid and uh, give us direct feedback that what do we uh, what do we have to do better in terms of aligning better with us, our sales colleagues. Just so, pull marketing, um, just, just pull marketing to align, Eve. That's a simple answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm right, an old, yeah. Old B two B sales guy, and it's always marketing's fault. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we're gonna debate about that then. <laughs> so um well let's have a little bit of background, I guess. And um I think the term marketing was actually uh started to servicing um back in 2000. And it was coined in response to improving web browsing capabilities and has been used this thing uh since then to illustrate the bond that sales and marketing have. According to a 2014 study published to, uh, in Community Magazine, 
Um, when a business has effectively achieved its marketing department, this partnership leads to an average revenue growth of 20% better uh, result. Unfortunately, not all business owners know how to truly align their sales and marketing departments. And so we're now in sitting in 2022. Most companies actually are still struggling to achieve this alignment. In fact, according to a recent report, revenue marketing report, misalignment between sales and marketing has actually increased from uh, 46% in 2021 to 58% now. I don't know whether, you know, pandemic and, you know, doing business online, that has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, but I certainly love to hear that from both of you. So um, I guess I want to start out with an open-ended questions and um, just leading from the, the background I just talked about. So we're now 2022. You guys have been in the field, being the, your um, your industry for, uh, I guess, you know, 20, 30 years now. Um, why why do you think that we're still talking about sales marketing alignment now? Um, I actually, I was actually quite surprised, Eve, to be honest with you, that when I heard those numbers, um, okay. and when you the, the background, uh, I've... Um, mostly worked in a sales environment, uh, given my background, you know, come from banking, asset management, private banking, and now professional services. So always loved roles where I've had the opportunity to work with salespeople to grow, you know, either new clients, new segments, new channels, et cetera. So I'm, I'm actually really keen to hear from John, given that John does um, has done a lot of this research into why this misalignment is still occurring. I mean, I've got my thoughts on how I've approached each time I walked into uh, each of the companies I've worked with. And I've, you know, you need to understand your audience. As a marketer, that's what we're taught in uni. And so I've, that lesson I've learned at school is something I've always taken with me. So you need to understand the motivations for your salespeople to want to work with you. And, and that's the attitude I've always taken into every role. So right. I've never really had major issues with dealing with sales team and, and that that sales marketing handshake has always been, um, I've found quite interesting and fun to develop. But I understand that there are challenges from, you know, other marketers out there. So actually, John, I'm, I'm keen to throw back to you and hear what you're hearing in the market in relation to this. Well, let's, let's answer the question, why do we need alignment? Uh, I mean, I think that's the really important question. Uh, and to me, there's two key reasons. Uh, and, I'm, and in this, I'll give them in the priority sequence that I think they are. First is we need to do a much better job of helping the customer through the buying journey, of giving the customer a great experience with us as they go through the buying journey. And when marketing and sales are aligned, it's remarkable how we can improve that experience for the customer. And the end, end result of a good experience to the customer is they spend more with us. So, um, so the second reason why we need alignment is to grow revenues uh, more effectively, more efficiently, more, productive, more pr productively. That's why alignment's so important. And, and, the, and the challenge we've all got is an historical challenge. Companies are built around silos, and each silo has their own objectives. Each silo operate, operates in their own environment, and occasionally they reach across the silo to another silo and touch each other, um, but never enough. Uh, and I was brought up in that area, the old hierarchical managed companies and, you know, 
marketing and sales were two independent organizations managed independently, uh, motivated and measured and et cetera, quite independently. So, you know, it was like Venus and Mars. They, they just wouldn't be able to communicate, didn't know, didn't understand each other and so on. So the alignment is important, repeat, for two reasons. One is to give a, a customer a better experience and two, be much more production efficient and driving revenue. Yeah, right. And follow to um, just follow on to Natalie, what you mentioned, like uh, working in a sales environment. That that's a definitely my personal experience as well. Like uh, when I was a channel marketing manager, um, I actually worked closer with my channel sales team than my marketing team. So I even situation myself, you know, it, I mean, physically locate myself with the channel sales team. And um, I remember, like, a, gosh, this is like a more than 15 years ago now. And I, I actually, when I started at Lexmark, I would actually have a one-on-one with each individual sales and really understand their business portfolio. And uh, um, then sit down really with them and say, hey, you know, I'm here here to, you know, achieve a common goal. So how how can we, you know, together develop strategies and, um, and down to the individual team member level? Um, not just you know departmental and the at the company level the uh, in terms of our goals, but down to you know what this person I think go back to what Natalie was saying that you know um, coming from I, I come from advertising background, so really understand that the psychology you know um, you know in terms of even our internal colleagues they they I treat them actually in a way like my internal customers. So uh, I'm here to deliver service. So they are. So so are they. You know, they are there to deliver service com- to the company. We should have a common goal. So, um, but a lot of time that I see that, you know, um, the the common goal component and the structure as well. If it's not kind of, uh, and and often that a lot of the organization will have less marketers than sales resources. You know, I don't know in your experience, like uh, the ratios, you know, like one marketer matching with, you know, a team of salespeople, um, how that work, how that actually create challenges, you know, in terms of achieving. Um, some company, I, I believe, you know, they, they can't even match their sales teams directly that way. So you don't have, a, you know, the luxuries of having one sales, one marketers working directly helping, you know, um, those sales teams to achieve certain, certain goal for their business goals. So, um, what, what do you, what is happening that, you know, I guess, you know, in, in your experience that you see that, um, you know, tangibly some of the challenges that really prevent the sales and marketing truly, um, sing, singing the same songs and, you know, kind of taking the, the similar approach to market and delivering that, you know, better customer experience, I suppose. I guess um, I, I, I think about that in this way and, and I'd love to hear both your thoughts on this. So is the struggle, is this sales alignment or marketing alignment a struggle where sales and marketing report into one person or is there a struggle when actually they're both reporting into different people? I've really always been really fortunate. I've always worked in environments where the sales and marketing report into do different people. I I think that when it reports into one, sales is always going to win and it's difficult. It's not really about winning or losing, but it's difficult for the marketing um, psychology or the marketing voice to be heard when you're, you're reporting into one. Now, might be 
that that's my limited experience, but I'm keen to understand from that research that you've talked about, Eve, whether the departments had been reporting into a single point or two different points. Mm. Can I jump in there if you don't mind? Yeah, Um, absolutely. If the if the right culture and the right methodologies and processes in a place and the and the right uh, mind frame, I'm, I'm I don't think reporting who who reports to who is vitally important. Um, but if it's not, then I tend to agree with what you just said, Natalie. I, I'm a, I'm very much a supporter of the chief revenue officer officer model, and they ultimately ultimately they've got to re- both report up. To somebody, you know, even if it's a CEO or whatever. Uh, but if you get if you if you put a model together um, to that I call a CRO, CRO model, and and that model is more than just a role like the CRO. It's it's a cultural model on how we work with our customers, uh, how marketing, what the role of marketing is uh, as we work with customers, what the role of sales are, what the role of support is, services, and so on all under this one umbrella of Chief Revenue Officer, I think it's a great model. Um, however, I've seen many CRO, new positions created as a CRO, CRO and it's failed. And, and it's and it wasn't necessarily the, re, the fault of the CRO that the model failed. It was it was still the fact that they didn't have the right culture in place to, and they still had, had silo models. Uh, and the manager, all the, the CRO was doing, was trying to manage... Uh, and, and and roll down all the uh, the, the vision and and the, and all the aspects of how to manage the business down into silos and the silos still operated as silos. So it's it's that culture we need to change where we're all working in one team for the customer. Now that's tough. Change is really really tough. So you know, I've worked in a lot of very old traditional organisations trying to drive change and and. And you're hitting your head against a brick wall quite often, but bit by bit you can make it happen. In startups and smaller organisations, you've got a great opportunity to make it happen very early and get the culture right very early. Unfortunately, I've walked into a lot of mature startups, and they've they've as they've grown, they've decided they're going to build these silos, and the silos just don't work together. Um, so it's it's getting the culture right. It's that culture around the customer. Yeah, no, no I, I tend to agree because culture is tend to be that the untangible glue. And, you know, kind of if your culture is not laser focused on customer about growth centricity, then, um, then you know, it, it becomes really hard. You know, we, we tend to get stuck in that functional role. And marketing and sales, you know, we, we certainly are operating a very different even pace, to be honest. And because sales, you know, um, a lot of time is uh, operating very transactional, you know, it's on a month-to-month basis and there's quota, you know, quarterly quota and a monthly quota you have to meet, right? Whereas a marketer, you know, we are required to think a little bit longer term. Um, at the best, you know, and the Japanese company I work for is three to five years. We we develop midterm programs. And so, you know, know exactly where, we, where we're going to be positioned ourselves uh, um, in three to five years later down the track. And we, you know, we as a result, marketers study a lot about uh, consumer behaviors and actually, you know, almost like a step ahead of the customers and predicting where is the customer going to move into. 
with sales, you know, almost have to operate in the now, in in the very much now, right? Because um, they have to ch- chase the um, the deals in front of them. And depending on the sales cycle, you know, sometimes it can be three to six months, and that's that's pretty much as long as they can see. So you know, kind of in the DNA, you know, we kind of operate the the way we operate is very different. And uh, how do you, you know, um, and, and it, it poses a lot of challenges, you know, in my experience for marketers is um, um, because of that, you know, we are so time poor. We're trying to actually, you know, trying to look forward ahead, but at the same time, also kind of manage the the shortened challenges, you know, chasing the number, base, so to speak. So I don't know how you guys have experienced to kind of balance the both, you know, kind of um in terms of um, and and get also sales team to look at it beyond just the months to months, quarter to quarter, and so can come you know more into the middle grounds and then you know create a culture really is more about growth, more about customer experience instead of just chasing the number. I want to go back on that point that John made about culture. I think yeah. that's a really um pertinent point to make uh, and I absolutely agree with the, the points about creating the right culture but I also think you need to have the right KPIs attached to those cult- that culture piece because you can have a really lovely culture <laughs> but if you've got the wrong KPIs people are going against people aren't um, aren't I guess people aren't doing the right things for uh, the customer if the KPIs don't match um, right. what you want them to do. So mm-hmm. agree on culture, but I think KPIs aligned would be really important. And I'll give you an example of what what, what I mean by that. So um, we could have a really nice culture, but if the KPI but but if the KPIs are only supporting and rewarding salespeople, you've got a whole bunch of admin functional operational people who without them, salespeople could not deliver that deal, who are never rewarded. So you've got a whole bunch of people sitting there going, well, it's a really nice culture to work in, but your KPIs don't reward me for any of that. So I guess um, yeah. I think that's important. The culture and KPIs are really important. Yeah, I, I really agree very much with you there, Natalie. Let, let's define what I mean by culture a little bit. Cultural is much more, much more than you know a nice place to work or, or, or whatever. The culture to me is the way we do business, the way as an organisation we do business, and it, what the role, the role of every part of our organisation in helping do business the right way. And and when we get the culture working that way, it's a it's an operational culture rather than a Good feel good culture, but if you get the operational culture right, you'll get a feel good culture anyway. Uh, and and certainly you're right. KPIs, uh, what the metrics you're going to measure, um, and and but across the organisation and how are you going to measure individuals? And they have to align. I mean, that's one of the issues. Is sales of sales have this sales measure. Um, outcomes is sales, and then the, we need to measure the leading indicators to drive that. And then marketing typically have had other measures that don't necessarily direct, directly relate to revenue. Um, so we, we need to get those aligned. Now we tend to measure different things, but they have to be they have to support each other. Whatever we measure, one measure against the other. Ultimately, we're all measured on the re- revenue the company drives. Marketing has to be measured on that. Sales has to be measured on that. S- support and services have to be measured on that. 
um, and, and so on. Product design, product development, it, it's, they all come together. And that culture working towards the one end, understanding my role and which, which cog in the whole machine I am and why it's so important that we work together to the, the ultimate aim of creating a great experience for the customer, which is going to drive our revenue. Yeah, and I guess that's what I mean by uh, culture. Does that help, Natalie? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks, John. And and I just want to go back to to now addressing Eve's point about you know the the sales of the now short term. I need to close this deal now versus marketing who thinks about yes, some of that, and then some of the how do I build brand over time? Yeah, so that I can generate sales overnight. Essentially, is what a marketer is always thinking about. And for me, um, it is a fine balance, Eve, but. I think it starts actually with a conversation. So I, I do want to make sure that we give your listeners some really good practical tips. For me, it's always been about a conversation, sitting down with the sales director or sales person and having a conversation. Because in 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 most cases, you know, there's one of a, a number of reasons why that the sales marketing and handshake is not aligned um, or, or is not close. And for me, I found usually, you know, if you sit down and chat to them, um, their pipeline might be really full. Actually, we don't have any more capacity. So it's actually not a sales marketing issue. It's actually mm-hmm. a business-wide issue to mm-hmm. say we the salespeople we've got are actually full. They, they cannot physically take on more work. So pipeline might be actually just really full. Um, there might be a misunderstanding around sales credits. Actually, what, why should I give the uh, my... I don't care about the lead that Natalie's given me because she's if 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 I close this, Natalie's going to take the sales credit, which I've experienced as well. So you need to be really clear about who gets the sales credits. Um, they might they might have had a really crappy lead experience in the past, so that you you might have been throwing a whole bunch. You know, when we used to have and and when I started at Mercer, it was one thing I got rid of was um, the lead scoring model. You know, you. We used to do this 100 points. Okay, now John's a salesperson. We're going to throw Eve, who's got 100 points. I'm going to just give that to John. But we haven't done the background work. Eve might have reached 100 points in that lead scoring model, but John's already dealing with Eve. But because of the criteria in which we set up that lead scoring model, you've just kicked 100. I'm a marketer. Bonza, I've, you know. Mm. I've now, I've now given John a lead. Why hasn't John done anything to contact Eve? So they might have had a crappy lead experience. So, so there's always a number of reasons why the sales and marketing handshake is not working. And it's not just, um, actually, I don't like working with you. I don't think a salesperson ever comes to work and says, actually, I don't want any of your leads because actually I'm fine. I've got all the business I need. Um, so, so I hope that answers. I don't look at it in a way of short-term versus long-term. I look at it as how can we help each other build the brand over time but give you the leads you need overnight so that you can achieve the goals that, that you have from a sales perspective. Ray, that's a really good point, yeah. I, I, yeah um, and, and to do that, I, I focus people, and I think this is the way to do it. You've got to be focused on the customer. You've got to understand in your target customer environment, who are your ideal customers and why? And, and that you need to get agreement on the definition of an ideal customer across sales and marketing. They both have to understand that very, very clearly by the industry you sell into. And it's going to vary from industry to industry. Um, you need to understand the buyer's journey. What What's the typical steps the buyers go through? And we need to have a strategy to be 
in one form or another engaging with the buyer even before they've started their buying journey, right? Business as usual and so on. So how do we help them think about where they're taking their business and and how they might need to think differently right up at the beginning of the buying journey? Now, that to me is is a a big part of that's marketing and marketing's role. Uh, But it's got to be done in, in... in collaboration with the sales because ultimately you're going to hand it over. But the concept of chucking a lead across the fence and it's yours now and I'm going to go and do something different is absolutely crazy, particularly in the larger B2B world, which is what I'm used to. Marketing have a role right through the buying journey. You know, the, the concept that they find the find the lead and this customer's interested and, you know, this lead scored or whatever. Uh, now here you are sales. Now I'm going to go off and find another lead. Uh, is just wrong, mm-hmm. right? And for salespeople to understand that marketing have a role. Now, the, one of the key role marketing's got right through that buying journey is getting the right content onto the table. You know, and, and I think this is a fault of both sales and marketing, but, you know, all the research says that 70 or 80% of the content produced for customers' consumption is not read by customers because it's not relevant. The customer doesn't see it as relevant. So we need to make sure we both marketing and sales are talking to customers, understanding what the customers are going through and understanding what sort of content, what sort of insight uh, and so on that they need to help them through their journey. Um, so that's just one example. I'm, I'm, you know, classic uh, uh, working with one company uh, uh, last year and the year before, uh, the company that made um, fast charges for electric car, very fast growing market. Um, so they um, they had all this content, which was product content, and the marketers are pumping out more and more product content, and the and the customers weren't want ready or wanting to read product content in that marketplace. The trends, the move, market's moving so quickly, they're getting that them as a company were, were getting insight all the time as to what was happening in the marketplace and what what is of value to customers, but they weren't getting it back into the engine room and producing content that would help the customers in that thought process. Um, and that's a joint, should be a joint exercise. Building a content plan, building it around the buying journey uh, is a joint exercise between sales and marketing. Uh, sales has have all sorts of insight yeah, and we should be capturing that and putting it into content and helping the customers on their journey, and and all that's about the customer, what the customer is trying to achieve, the outcomes they're trying to address, and so on. It's not about our product. Yeah, no, I know I can't agree more, John. So, um, but um, I'm also pretty fortunate. It's just like Natalie being organization that that we tend to work, you know, very much hand in hand, and there's uh, enough trust established. And um, like me as a marketer, I will actually go out, and uh, my sales will actually take me out to see their customers. And um, you know, when I jump onto the consulting land, and uh, um, I found that that was not a case. And even just getting like a case study down and um, a lot of sales are very much guarding those accounts and they they want everything channeled through them. Um, They don't want marketers to go out directly to their customers to ask a series of questions and um, so that, that is how I found, you know, just in a few enterprise clients of mine, and I found it's extremely challenging. One of the, uh, programs I was commissioned, um, to build the ABM program and, um, 
well, actually two accounts. So one, one of them that the uh, sales don't show up even. They don't even show up that alignment. You know, the, the first phase of a building an ABN program, you got to have alignment, which is established goals and what do you want to achieve out of these accounts. So I couldn't even get the accounts out of the marketers. I was like, well, it's not technically it's not ABN if you don't even have accounts to work with. So um, this tends ten, to, you know, really it's, well, we can only turn this into a demand gen play. So it's a one way communicating about the, the company's proposition. No longer is a, you know, ABM program that you tailor, you know, your sales and marketing work laser focus on those accounts and putting that, you know, um, mutual intelligence. Um, so we can actually build a program tailored to those accounts, right? And the second one is, um, you know, the, the sales do show up, but very much lose uh, um, because time is money. So we, we've been pulling to this program, sitting here strategizing for too long. And so they don't really have, can, they cannot afford, that's the, the, the reason I was given, cannot afford to, you know, come to this kind of task force to build on the program. So um, do, do, you, do you have any suggestion and, you know, tangibly how to kind of overcome this kind of challenges and when I don't know, it sounds to me it's probably a bigger, you know, sea level um, conversation. You know, resources and issues and um, but you know when it happens, you know, um, there's a one when I was working with one companies and um, there's were events and we have a kind of this kind of CIO summit, um, you know, fast dating program. So you sit down with CIO and you pitch, you know, based on some sort of a survey. They feel well. And uh, we actually prepared the ABM program. And it was a truly a sales marketing collaboration. We lock ourselves in a room for a week and really strategizing, you know, looking at the intelligence of these 20 accounts we're trying to target. And the dig out some incredible intelligence that we can actually turn that into a um, conversation for sales to take out, you know, during those events. Um, when it's done right, it's beautiful. But uh, um, I just found that, uh, um, yeah, in reality, there's still a lot of hurdles for companies to get to that that piece. So uh, I wonder from your experience, what do you see as a major, you know, challenges? You know, um, maybe leadership need to um, address that, and uh, um, also in experience uh, when it happens, some of the good, what good looks like as well. Uh, I'm going to go back to John's piece earlier about culture. Right. It starts with a if it starts with making sure if if sales is what you want to do, then you actually have the right sales culture. There are some companies it's really nice to work in, right? But it's not about sales. Even consultants that go out, they might think, or bankers that go out, they're like, you know, my job is just to you know, do some really great work with this client. I, I'm, I'm really not that fussed about whether we charge them or not. So, so it's actually, if you want a sales culture and it's all about driving revenue, then you've got to create that culture. But, you know, the, the example you've just talked about, Eve, where you couldn't get sales to the table, I'm always of the belief that you can't win them all <laughs> and you're never going to win them all. So, so I'm, I've adopted in the, you know, in the last probably five or six years, I've adopted more of a, um, and I've stolen this from the next generation, the, the last, the next generation coming through, but I've, I've, 
found influences. I found sales influences inside the businesses in which I worked. Because even if you try and drag a salesperson into an ABM meeting or a meeting where you know that it's of benefit to them, but actually they're not interested or they've got different objectives at that time or they've got a different priority, you can talk to them until they're blue. You can give them a lead and they're still not going to do anything with it. So I often look around at the countries in which I look after. We often look for the influencers. Who is really hungry for sales and who can we use to showcase? If it's John, I go, great, John, here's some brilliant leads and let me tell you why they're brilliant. This is how we've qualified them for you. This is how hot they are. Or actually, John, we're looking at doing this ABM program. It's the first time it's going to be done anywhere in this region. We really love the way that you talk to clients and the way that you've dealt with your clients and the way that you sold to clients. We want to make you a case study. So that's usually how I approach it as as opposed to going, actually, you know, all salespeople, they're rubbish. They don't want to do, they don't want any part of this program. So that's how I've approached it um, in my organisation. You've just defined a classic approach to change management that I like, (laughs) uh, Natalie, and and that is you take it step by step with the, with the with the champions, um, you know, the sales guys in this case are really uh, are good sales guys, good team players. Uh, sales these days is is a team game. I mean, every customer we're selling to in the B two B world uh, on any decision that's a reasonably significant decision uh, have you know eight, ten, twelve, fourteen decision makers in that process. Uh, and, and on our side, if we think, oh, we've got one salesperson that's going to be managing that sale and doing most of the work, um, that salesperson uh, will be unsuccessful. And if we've got maverick salespeople that go out and line them up and knock them down, we've got the wrong people for the culture anyway. Uh, salespeople these days need to be team players and we need to get the right team players on board. Now, that's part, again, and going back to this CRO role, if you've got the right leader at top, at the top that is driving a strategy, driving cultural change or, or, or helping, getting people to help them drive the cultural change in the way Natalie talked about, then you're going to get the team starting to come together. And then, of course, you need to measure them and give feedback and manage you know, that change on an ongoing basis, reinforce it. And you need to think about how you reinforce that. And then you bit by bit roll it out across the whole organisation. I think the point you made, Eve, about the leadership's role, I'm a great supporter of of, uh, service leadership. The leaders are there to help the organisation, help the people break down the barriers, uh, make sure the right strategy or right vision's in place, uh, and then step back and let the teams do it. They need to put the right teams in place and make sure they're motivated the right way to ensure you get those changes coming through the organisation, get the right, how do we do business culture happening properly uh, and, and just get rid of the silos. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the book, The Wentworth Prospect. The Wentworth Prospect is, is a novel and it's a novel about a sale made to a bank by a, a cybersecurity company. Uh and, and, you know, we went out of our way to make sure there were no silos represented inside the, the uh, cybersecurity company when they're selling to the bank. Uh, the bank was full of silos, so we had to understand what that was all about and how to work, 
with all the people across the different silos in the bank and get them cooperating and collaborating uh, to the end result. But that story tells a, a great story of how, as an organisation, we need the right how do we do business culture. Uh, and you know, in that particular case, the marketing person ended up on some of the calls and really understood the sort of how the marketing could support. And this we're talking here a six or eight month uh, sales cycle, uh, larger business, etc. Marketing have a role, yeah, certainly a nurturing role very early in the process, um, but uh, later in the process, you know, the fact that. People think, oh, marketing will chuck a lead across and then walk away, I think is a wrong thinking. Marketing yeah. should be there meeting periodically and having interaction with the salespeople. How are you going? Where are you going? What do you need from us now to help support the sales process? Uh, and that's a cultural thing. That's a teaming thing. And that's pretty much the way I see leadership is actually, I represent it at the bottom of the hierarchy. Leadership are... It's a service leadership servicing the people above above them and the people above them are touching the customer uh, and all have a role in the way they touch the customer. Right, right. Uh, what are some of the warning signs you see that is, uh, um, you know, it, it's getting to that, you know, basic organizations will be um, heading to the wrong direction. Um, it, do you observe any like a fla- uh, red flags that in your consulting um, life, you know, the, the key one you raised before, and that's behavior, right? And behavior in both marketing and salespeople. If you're getting the wrong behavior, big red flags come up. We're going to understand why they're behaving that way. What's driving it? Is there something in our culture? Is there something in the way we measure people, or what are that's driving that behavior? Or have we just got the wrong people in place? And when you're trying to drive this change, particularly in an older organization, you'll often find you now have the wrong people in place. And it's pretty ruthless to say it, but sometimes you just have to move those people on yeah, because they're going to block the change. They're going to block the culture and so on. Um, but, you know, most people will come across given the right path to follow, uh, giving the right service leadership uh, and, and so on. They'll come across. You'll get that change happening. And, and sometimes you can ha- it can happen very quickly by removing one or two blocks. Yeah, no, that's true. Very true. Yeah. Um, have we solved the problem yet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, um, we, I think I'm trying to. We uh, might need to come back in 2044. Easy, it's not, definitely not <laughs> easy, is it? <laughs> well, um, I'm conscious of the time. So uh, I'm going to ask uh, um, an interesting question. So um, if you could predict and I like both of you to answer. If you could predict the future, what would you guess to be the next big thing for leaders to help achieve alignment in the organization across revenue generation value chain? I call it, you know, uh, revenue generation value chain is basically sets of activities um, that, you know, from the um, your supplier to buyer. So all the activity that happens. What do you think will be the the next big thing for leaders to help achieve that alignment across the organization? You want to go first, Natalie? She's getting <laughs> scored. I can see that. <laughs> the clogs are working out there. Look, um, in all seriousness, I, I, I think following this podcast, 
I think there'll be people out there creating education courses <laughs> because this whole process, what John and I have really spoken about, it's about educating each other and understanding each other's value that we bring to the culture we want to create, to the growth we want to drive in the organisation. So it's not going to be one single bullet. It's not rocket science. It'll be you just, it's time it's patience and it's education, not just on one side. It's not just marketers teaching about the value, but, you know, salespeople, like John said, the 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 way to drive great content is if we get that information directly from clients or if the clients are talking with salespeople, then directly from the salespeople. I think that's going to be the next big thing is e-learning courses related to sales marketing handshakes. <laughs> awesome. I think what about um, you, John? I'll reinforce what Natalie just said, absolutely. One thing that I think it's a mindset change we need to achieve in a lot of organisations, and one of the key mindset changes is is the use of the word intelligence, in re, particularly in relation to marketeers. Marketeers' role is to is to bring intelligence to the table for the salespeople and the customer. Uh, it's not about generating a lead anymore, putting that across the thing. It's, it's, you know, and in this day and age with the tools, technology, artificial intelligence, big data, all sorts of stuff we've got, uh, we can very, very easily predict things like a trigger's happening in one of our target customers. And, and if we're not identifying something's triggering a change in a customer organisation, then we're being totally ineffective. And I think that's a marketing role to really do it, delve in and get all the intelligence, get all the insight, and then work with the salespeople and how to leverage that uh, to the benefit of the client. Uh, and, and, a, and a key part of that is getting in early. If we're getting the triggers and we are identifying when customers' behaviour is suddenly changing, they're starting to think about something, a challenge in their business or uh, challenge in their industry or whatever, uh, and we're able to now start helping the customer think about what that means to them. We're in very, very early in the buying journey. Now, if, if all we're thinking about is marketing generating leads for sales uh, and then chucking, chucking across, typically those leads uh, arrive when the buyer's already right down the buying journey and now is starting to look for a solution. Uh, and they're going to start wanting to talk to one or two or three providers. Way too late. And if that's what marketing's doing, and then chucking across to sales, and then sales are in there, you know, the customers essentially almost made the decision, uh, what they want, what they need, uh, and maybe which suppliers they might get it from. Yeah, we might get on the list to, for, to have a look at us, but we're not, we haven't helped the client through their thinking journey at all. And I'd like to I'd really like to emphasize that, those words. The client, from the time some trigger happens in their, in their company, they need to start thinking differently about the way they're doing something. From that beginning right through to implementation is a thinking journey, and particularly early in that process. And if we're not helping the company with their thinking journey, then neither sales or marketing are doing their role. We as an organisation have not got in place the right uh, way to do business culture. Uh, it's all too late. 
Yeah, no, so, can't can't agree more. Yeah, so, sorry, John. So, so that, sorry, that was a long answer to a simple question. What's what's the one thing you said? Well, I'm, I just used the word intelligence, but it's really getting that way we do business culture in place to help a customer through their buying journey and start that dialogue with them, not necessarily talking, but it's a dialogue of some sort with them, sharing content or whatever it is, right back at the beginning, uh, and then work with them through that journey. So understanding the buying journey and bringing intelligence and insight to the table through that journey is is the big new thing with the right yeah, and, and certainly marketers it can contribute uh, contribute a lot because you know we we should really be owning the buyers journeys and uh, um you know constantly um updating and uh, um based on the the market market um change as well. So uh, I always tell my clients, for example, you know, um, the buyer's personas, buyer's journey need to constantly improve. We need to adapt that and um, market marketers certainly need to own that and, you know, drive that, uh, um, I guess, the evolutions of uh, um, your ideal customers, your um, ideal personas and, um, you know, provide that, present that intelligence back to the organizations and uh, ensure that your sales teams and uh, the rest of the customer facing uh, employees that they all understand what that, you know, ideal customer look like. And in a way, uh, if I can add to that question as well, as I always say, trust is the most important thing. Um, and if we are able to demonstrate, you know, provide that value, you know, by presenting uh, useful, effective intelligence, I think that in a way uh, builds a lot of trust, you know, internally. And there w- wouldn't be a time that uh, sales would say, no, um, I-, I don't want you to come and talk to my customers. Um, because, you know, they don't trust marketers in a way that, you know, to, to do the best, um, to, to pitch the, the, the right, to communicate the right things with their customers. So, um, yeah, I, I first, personally, my experience is definitely trust. And then what both of you has mentioned, you know, certainly we need uh, more learning, more um, education on that piece. And um, certainly, you know, intelligence, I think, you know, um, and marketers, you know, uh, we are, which are the uh, main audience of our podcast. And uh, if we can, you know, uh, add value to our internal customers, uh, I see my sales colleagues as customers and by presenting that customer intelligence to them, they do see value that why, you know, we need to work hand in hand as a, as a team together. I call it a gross uh, generation team instead of sales marketing. <laughs> So on that note, thank you both very much. And I hope uh, our listener has enjoyed this episode of, um, you know, smarketing. Hopefully we're not just talking about it. Let's do smarketing. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our other episodes for even more insights into the world of revenue marketing.